sometimes the simplest concepts are also the hardest to come to terms with. So, you know, while it's nice to find ourselves in such a short little psalm today, Psalm 133, that's no guarantee that it's going to be easy. I mean, for one thing, I'm sure you noticed as we read that out, that there's quite a lot of poetic imagery in this psalm that we've got to unpack before we can really understand it. And so we've got a bit of thinking to do with these three little verses to get through all of that imagery. And then after that, I think uh, we're going to find that the application isn't that straightforward. On the upside, though, the overall concept of the psalm is actually pretty simple, at least in theory. The vision that the psalm wants to cast is right there in the first verse. The poetry that comes later on in verses 2 and 3 is just by way of being like this big idea in verse 1. So this is our point of focus in verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And I think if we can see the meaning put to us here as a call to unity in the church of God, then we've already cracked the big idea of this psalm. It's casting this simple vision to us, to call us into peaceful fellowship together as God's people. It's not about literal brothers. You know, the Hebrew word there was also used collectively about God's people. You know, so yeah, go ahead and think beyond your genetic family to your church family. And nor is this only directed at men. The same Hebrew plural would be used for a mixed group of males and females. So yes, I think you can go ahead and read there, brothers and sisters dwelling in unity. And nor, of course, is this just speaking about, you know, literally dwelling together. So yes, again, please take this psalm on board as more than just a good recipe for house sharing. Think Christian community. The frame of reference for Psalm 133, uh, launched there in verse 1, is God's church. How good and pleasant it is for us to be in community. We could also translate that last word. And that simple premise surely is, is putting a vision in front of us to pursue together. And as I say, it's no controversial or difficult thing in theory, is it? I mean... <laughs> Of course it's good and pleasant for us to be in fellowship, to be as one as God's people. It is a blessing. There's no end of scriptures that say the same thing, actually, and and rightly so. I mean, how could we who follow the one same God not be in unity? But it seems like the practice is harder than the theory. We've got work in front of us to realise this vision Maybe the poetry in this little psalm can help. For us to be in unity uh, is like the precious oil, verse 2. Precious oil, it's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Aaron, just so you know, was... Well, he was the first high priest for God's people of Israel in the Bible, long before David wrote this little psalm. And Aaron was anointed for that office of high priest, anointed with oil. That's the image here in verse 2. And I don't know, we might be inclined to picture just, you know, a thumbprint of, I don't know, olive oil smeared or rubbed on his forehead. But uh, no, quite an abundance of precious oil poured all over his head. Uh, So much it ran down his head and onto his beard. So much it ran down his beard and onto his robes. And the poetry here seems to celebrate that abundance and and celebrate the precious nature of the oil used to anoint Aaron for his high priestly office. I think 
as if to thereby celebrate the abundance and, and the precious nature of the atonement God would grant for his people through Aaron's priestly role. You see, the duty of the high priest was, well, that was it, to seek atonement for the sins of the people. An atonement that made it possible for God to dwell in the middle of the community. This, I think, is the blessing being captured by uh, that, that poetry in verse 2. Atonement. That through the mediation of a high priest, God could dwell with his people in community. The focal point of Aaron's duty, if you're interested, was, was the annual Day of Atonement. And you can follow that up later in Leviticus chapter 16 if you want to. But by way of quick summary, this, this is what Aaron and, and then, you know, the, the high priests that followed after Aaron, this is what they were to do on that one day every year. After atoning for his own sin, the high priest would take two goats. One goat was sacrificed to represent God's judgment of the people's sin. Because for the holy, holy, holy God to be present in the middle of a sinful, sinful, sinful people, there had to be some way to reflect God's righteous wrath against sin. He cannot dwell in the middle of sin and, and do nothing. And so to symbolize God's holiness, that, that wrath once per year fell on that first goat. The second goat seems to represent to the people the outcome of that atonement. The, the high priest would lay his hands over the head of the second goat, symbolizing the transfer of the nation's sin onto that goat. And, and then that second goat was taken out of, of the people and out to the far wilderness and released. In other words... I think that people could know that because of the judgment that fell on the first goat, their sins had been taken away, carried away far from them. Aaron, verse 2, was anointed for that task. As the high priest, once a year, he could enter God's presence in the most holy inner place of the tabernacle and seek that atonement for the people of God, having their sins dealt with and carried away in that symbolic form. The precious, abundant oil in verse 2 speaks not just to Aaron's anointing, but to how generous God is in allowing that office of intercession. Because the alternative would be for God's righteous wrath against his people's sin to fall on them. This blessing in verse 2, invoked by this image of oil running down Aaron's head, is, is, is that God has made a way out of the punishment we deserve. And then we come back to verse 1, and the blessing back in verse 1 of us being in unity together is somehow like that second blessing that the poetry tells us. And so too, for us to dwell in community in verse 1 is also like dew, verse 3 starts to tell us. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon uh, was just over the far northern border of Israel in, in Syria. When Israel entered the Promised Land, Joshua conquered as far north as Mount Hermon 
uh, you can read in Joshua chapter 12. Uh, anyway, my encyclopedia tells me that Mount Hermon, uh, as it happens, was a very big landmark, a big landmark, 9,200 feet above sea level, permanently uh, snow-capped and therefore shining in the sun all the time and, and visible from everywhere in Israel. No matter where you stood, you could see Mount Hermon in the north. Anyway, in summer, I read in my encyclopedia, that the wind carries cool, moist air from Mount Hermon all all through the region. And where cooling and moisture come together, the night times bring much-needed dew to the landscape. Dew. In fact, in the scriptures, rain and dew are often spoken of as twin blessings that enable life and productivity in Israel. Rain more or less falls in the winter time, and, and without the dew through the summer, there, there simply wouldn't be provision for life year-round. Anyway, that's the imagery as we shift into verse 3 now. Cool, moist air, I guess, coming from Mount Hermon. Uh, it brings dew, it brings refreshment and life to the whole land. And the blessing of community, verse 1, is also like that blessing, refreshment and life for the land and for God's people in the land. When we dwell together in community as God's people, it's somehow like that. I notice specifically that the verse highlights the capital of Israel, Jerusalem in verse 3. There, I mean, the mountains of Zion, that's a synonym for Jerusalem. That's where Jerusalem was. And it occurs to me that what's notable about Jerusalem, I guess, you know, other than being the capital, of course, is that that is where the tabernacle was when David wrote this psalm. The tabernacle where God dwelt in the middle of his people was in Jerusalem at Mount Zion. And not just is refreshment and life coming all the way to Jerusalem in the, in the earthly sense of those words. But, you know, we're phasing into a fourth blessing for God's people by the end of verse 3. Because life forevermore has been commanded there at Jerusalem. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Life forevermore, where, again, as we know from Scripture, We will dwell together in community with God forever in our midst. Anyway, there's a lot of imagery in these few short verses. I did warn you. (laughs) And I think there's a lot going on once you start unpacking all of that imagery. And it just seems to get deeper and deeper the more you meditate on it. But look, I think the psalm wants to take us at least that deep in our thinking And all up, I think it wants to give us that much of a a rich and and interwoven picture. Look, there are blessings here in this little psalm, and these blessings are awesome. And they can't really be separated out because they weave together. I mean, it's not like we might, you know, hope for just one or two of these blessings as God's people and not hope for all of them. I mean, we are atoned for, we are cared for, we are kept for eternal life. And so too we are blessed into Christian fellowship to share life together in unity. In fact, we've got to keep returning to the fact that this this Christian fellowship theme, you know, brothers and sisters dwelling in unity, well, that's the primary focus of this little psalm. 
It's a blessing from God that our sins are atoned for, verse 2. It's a blessing that God cares for and provides for us in this life. And it's a blessing to have received eternal life. And, And just so, just like those things, it is a blessing, verse 1, that God brings his people into community. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Brothers and sisters, we were made for community. How indescribably good and pleasant it is when we live as one. And yet, as I say, what we can probably all see and agree to clearly enough in in theory in that first crucial verse is not so easy in practice. And so that's where we must turn our attention One obvious thing that's so difficult with this vision is that is that it just doesn't match our experience, does it? In that so many brothers and sisters have turned down or, or stepped out of or, or never really found this fundamental blessing that God desires for us. They're out of Christian fellowship. It doesn't make any sense when you think about the simple picture here in this sweet little song. And it's a great sadness. But for many Christians, you know, it doesn't take very much for church to you know, get bumped off life's agenda. I mean, the community of church never has been high on their radar. Some people are anxious or even fearful in some cases, or, or they simply feel unworthy to walk into community. And for some people, well, the church community has left wounds in them, deep wounds from the past that make it very hard for those people to to re-engage in fellowship after being hurt like that. But nevertheless, we are called to fellowship. I'm not suggesting it's going to be easy, but if you find yourself out of Christian community as you listen to this song in Psalm 133 here, then I want you to meditate on this psalm and and let God call you back into fellowship. You were created for this. And you were redeemed for this. God has lavished all kinds of blessings on you. And he wants this blessing for you too. So listen to the scriptures and and find some way to come back into fellowship. Or to come in for the first time if you haven't yet done it. And if you're a Christian in fellowship, listening to this psalm, but you're struggling with division between you and your brothers and sisters, and maybe even you are part of the reason someone else is now out of fellowship, or at least, you know, there has been a loss of harmony between you and your family, then then again, it may not be easy, but please hear the call of this song and, and find some way to restore peace with your family. There simply must be reconciliation in the household of God. Not just forgiveness and forgetting people ever existed or 
just staying out of their way, but reconciliation, peace and reconciliation. Think about it. Ultimately, unity is going to prevail. Unity is going to prevail for life evermore in the household of God. And we must be working towards that even now as his people. A more recent challenge to this vision is that as we sit here and read this psalm, a formidable threat is kind of looming against this blessing of community that God has given us. Various governments in Australia are murmuring about vaccine passports and you know, restricting the freedoms of those who've chosen not to be vaccinated and so on. And so much that, you know, potentially uh, measures could soon be introduced that would allow only vaccinated people to attend church. As I meditated on this psalm through the week and its, its simple little message, it, I know, it's like it opened up a doorway for me into the rest of scriptures over this big idea, you know, this blessing of Christian community that this psalm is talking about, it's everywhere. I think it's inescapable. The Bible consistently presents this picture to us all through the Old Testament with the people of Israel and then all through the New Testament as the church expands, God saves his people into community. So, you know, should the government ever follow through on its current murmurs about these things, uh, you know, only allowing some people to attend church, then it will clearly be contrary to the blessing in this psalm. Such a measure would bring division between God's people over an entirely secular matter. So, you know, if this all goes ahead and some people can meet in public and others are forced to find some other solution, then there won't be unity like in this song. And that would be a sad thing and a serious thing. And both kinds of meeting that we might envisage under that scenario, well, they would just be a vague shadow of, of what we're looking at here, wouldn't they? A vague shadow of the true blessing that God desires for us. It's natural, and I think it's biblical, for us to gather in local congregations. It's understandable even, I think, that we would then align ourselves in different denominations around our theological convictions of the Bible. But to see division across the whole Christian landscape over a secular and medical choice would well, it would be very heartbreaking, wouldn't it? The government's suggestion threatens to divide all the people of God in a new way into two. And yet, over and above all that, we, we also know that civil rule and hardship often grows and multiplies the church. So we must keep that in mind too. Anyway, all of that's still hypothetical at this stage. I mean, whoever knows what the government will do. The bigger and more immediate threat to our unity is not in what the government thinks we might do in the future, but in what we think and how we speak to each other now. We need to be very careful not to divide ourselves over this issue. And so I'd love it if this little psalm could 
you know, call people back to the scriptures in a sense and be like a, a doorway for all of us to start reconsidering uh, this fundamental blessing God intends for his people as written all through the scriptures. Unity. Unity. As a family of believers who, well, what? I mean, we're determined on one glorious criterion, aren't we? God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is in charge. And he's not just saving people. He's building his church. And Jesus preached the big idea of this little psalm. And so too, he opened up all of the blessings in this little psalm for us. I mean, Jesus is the one who has atoned for our sin forever, once and for all time. I mean, those goats in Aaron's day, well, they were just symbolic. You know, they were pointing forward, longing for, waiting for Jesus, who who laid down his life to pay for our sin. It's in Jesus' name that we would ask for times of refreshing and, and provision when we need it in life. It's Jesus who is the one who's brought us into the, the other command of eternal life. I mean, I found all this stuff in one sermon by Jesus, in his farewell to his disciples just before he went to the cross to open up all these things for us. In, in John chapters 14 through 17, I'll, I'll let you find it and read it for yourself later. One sermon, and you'll see all of the blessings in this psalm woven through that message from Jesus. But our focus for today, as per this little psalm, is on this blessing of unity in verse 1. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one people of God. And so Jesus also preached for us in that sermon, unity, not division. Back in the language of our little psalm here, we might consider the flip side of verse 1, that it is not pleasant nor good when brothers and sisters are divided. And so the real danger for the church with this vaccination question is that it polarises everyone into one of only two binary responses – And yet there are incredible complexities to the issue, aren't there? Such that, you know, each person's choices are far more involved than than just the yay or nay at the end of the day that they come up with. But so 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 my reasons for my choice are not going to be exactly the same as my brother or sister's reasons for their choice. Even if we end up at the same binary decision point at the end of it all, our reasons will be slightly different. And yet at the same time and by the same token, there's such a complex web of factors underneath our decisions that there are probably going to be some points of common ground between almost any two people that you put together in a room. Even where our final decisions come out as binary opposites, there will be like, you know, little nodes of connection and agreement here and there in our deeper underlying thinking and reasoning. And in pursuing the unity that this psalm calls us to, I think, I think it'll be healthier for us to, to continue in gentle conversations around those underlying factors, uh, finding the points of agreement here and there, rather than speaking uh, bluntly on the binary response that we each have to come up with. We have to talk to each other about this matter. But please, can we, can we talk about it with love and gentleness and always for the pursuit of unity? Can we agree to live 
in community, even though we arrive at different decisions over personal things like this? You see, the threat to unity is not diversity in our thoughts on such things. It's division. And regrettably, as Christians, we've been feeding the division rather than seeking for unity. So please, let this psalm call to us and, and, and let us think of how to be gentle with our brothers and sisters over this question at hand. And, and let's remember that issues like this should not cause division within the body of Christ. This is no gospel issue we're talking about. This is no matter of sin one way or the other. This is no choice in front of us that the Bible speaks to. Other than, of course, things like, you know, we should bear with one another in love. I mean, (laughs) the Bible even teaches us to bear with one another over matters that Scripture does explicitly speak to and clarify for us. So how much more so should we bear with one another over matters where the Bible is silent? So if you've been drawn into the growing social division over this matter, and probably we all have to some degree, I mean, whether it's a little bit of virtue signalling on our social media profiles about our choice, or, or speaking crudely or dismissively of our brothers and sisters about their choice, well, then please, hear this psalm. We must withdraw now from that growing division. We must stop feeding it. We may need to apologise or repent and, and seek peace where necessary. We do not want to be found party to the division that looms against God's church. But we shouldn't be intimidated by the things in front of us, brothers and sisters. We should read this psalm with joy and with optimism. It is God's good pleasure to bestow upon us this great blessing of unity. So let's be positive. Let's be found to be joyfully pursuing this this peaceful community at all times and in every way. And not just in our congregation, mind you, but you know, in all of our Christian relationships. How pleasant and how good can we let this be? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, as always, for the privilege of having your scriptures open in front of us. And wow, so short but so challenging, this little psalm today, Lord. The things we know uh, are so simple and so clear, uh, yet so difficult, this challenge is in front of us. But we pray, Father, that you would be with us, that you would guide us gently into our conversations and into the threats that lie in front of us. Father, above all things, we pray that you would keep us humble and gentle and teach us more and more how to love one another and pursue this unity that you've granted to us. And we thank you for the blessings that unite us all, Lord, that you know, you, you've granted us salvation, you care and provide for us, you, you've opened up eternal life for us in Jesus' name, and these things unite us, Lord. And so too, we, we pray that you would 
just continue this blessing of community that you've granted to us as well in such uncertain and difficult times, Lord, where we're, we're all feeling exhausted from the strain of these things. We pray that you would please allow our fellowship to prevail. In Jesus' name, amen.